the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Now you might want to, in the margin of your Bible, just write down John 10, verse 9. John 10, verse 9, because it's in John 10, 9 that Jesus said, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the gate. There's seven I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. We'll get to them when we get to the gospel of John, but that's one of them. He says, I'm the gate, and everyone who wants to be saved has to go through me. Now Jesus is being very unpolitically correct here because he's making an exclusive claim. Throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, we hear a few I am statements from Jesus. In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you about Christ's statement, I am the gate. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, I am the gate. No one can come to the Father except through me. What Jesus is saying is that in order to come to the Father, there is a path to get there. That path is confession and repentance of sin and forgiveness through Christ. There is no other way to the Father, only through Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Most other of the ancient golden rules were something like, you know, if, if you don't want to be kicked in the teeth, then don't kick somebody else in the teeth. Don't do this and don't do that, and then it won't happen to you. Jesus makes it into a positive rule, and he says, I want you to do to others what you would have them do to you. So I want you to be generous because you might want someone to be generous to you. I want you to be kind because you might want someone to be kind to you. I want you to be friendly. I want you to be helpful. I want you to be loving. I want you to be sincere. I want you to be honest. So he puts it in the positive sense of what we should be about if we expect to get that in return. This is doing, this is action in the positive sense. For this, he says, sums up the law and the prophets. Then verse 13. Starting at verse 13, down through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus here is going to give three final exhortations. Three final exhortations. And here they are. I'm just giving them to you right up in advance, and then we'll take a look at this together. Number one, he's going to say that he is, Jesus is, the narrow gate that leads to life. Number two, he's going to say, beware of false prophets and false confessions. And then number three, he's going to say, listen to me, listen to Jesus, and do what he says. Don't be a hearer only, but do what he says. So this is the first part here in verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. 
but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Now, you might want to, in the margin of your Bible, just write down John 10, verse 9. John 10, verse 9, because it's in John 10, 9 that Jesus said, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the gate. There's seven I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. We'll get to them when we get to the gospel of John, but that's one of them. He says, I'm the gate, and everyone who wants to be saved has to go through me. Now, Jesus is being very unpolitically correct here. Because he's making an exclusive claim. Just as he does in John 14 when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He doesn't say, I am a way among many ways. I am a truth among many truths. I'm just a life among many. He says, no, I'm exclusive. I am in the exclusive way to be saved. Now, this is, this is where critics of Christianity will chime in and they'll say, you know, your faith is so narrow-minded. Look, what we need to understand here is, first of all, I don't have a problem that Jesus says he's the way. I'm just glad that there is the way, right? That's the first thing, okay? That God loves us enough that he made the way for us, possible, to have forgiveness of sins and eternal life through faith in Jesus, But when you recognize that there are many different, if you will, truth claims out there, and many of the truth claims of different religions are contradictory, it is illogical to say that all paths lead to God because they are contradictory statements. We cannot all be right. Truth, by definition, is exclusive, okay? Now, the reason why a lot of people have a problem with this sounds so narrow-minded, the fact that Jesus would say he's the only way, that not all paths lead to God, only one path leads to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. And the reason why people have problems with this, let me illustrate to you. Listen, if tomorrow there was a cure found for cancer or for AIDS or something that is fatal or can be fatal, if a cure was found tomorrow and it was announced, here's the pill, or here is the serum, and if you just take this, you will be cured. I guarantee you, no one is going to say, well, what are my options? Is that the only thing? People would be beating down the hospital doors and the office of their doctors to get the serum or to get the pill. Why? Because they see their desperate need. And the reason that people find it difficult to accept that Christianity, the exclusive claims of Jesus, are what they are, is because they have not yet seen their desperate need. It is when someone gets to the bottom of themselves and realizes their desperateness of heart, their sinfulness of life, and they grab hold of the refreshing, liberating, loving truth of Jesus, they will run to him. But until you get to that place, you're going to stand back and intellectualize everything. And you're going to say, well, wait a minute, you know, Hindus can be right and Buddhists can be right and Muslims can be right and Christians can be right. No, 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 it's contradictory. You're going to have to decide what the real truth is. But truth by itself, by definition, is exclusive. So don't take issue with Jesus that he's being exclusive because if he really is and he is the truth, if he's the, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to him but by him, then by definition it's exclusive, but what a wonderful opportunity is for all to come. See, the gate is narrow, but the invitation is broad. The invitation is to all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that anyone and everyone who believes in him shall be saved, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For as many as believed in him, for those who called on his name shall be saved. See, the invitation is broad, but the way is narrow because it's exclusive. And people who have not yet gotten to the bottom of themselves and the own depravity of their own souls will not yet see the importance and the liberating, loving exclusivity of this invitation because they've not yet seen their own desperate needs. So what Jesus says here is exclusive, but uh, it is open to as many as would believe and as many as would receive. Unfortunately, many are on the broad road that leads to destruction, and only a few find the narrow gate. And, uh, but the few can be as many as would receive and believe. Well, in verse 15, he uh, then switches to the idea of being aware of false prophets and false confessions. He says in verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look really nice on the outside. He says, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Now this last section is scary to some Christians, so uh, when we get to this, I'm going to try to put to to ease and put to rest any fears that might be here about this last section, because a lot of people look at this and they think to themselves, is that what he's going to say to me? All this time I thought I was saved, and one day I'm going to get in front of him. He's going to be like, you know, uh, I don't know you. Okay, so just calm down. We're going to get to this. But hold on. First of all, the false prophet part, okay, the false prophet part. Now, he warns about false prophets, and we need to be reminded of this. This warning is still intact. There are false Christs and false prophets in the world today. Uh, Jesus would say... Uh, in Matthew 24, verse 24, he says when he speaks of the, some of the signs of the end of the age just prior to his second coming, Matthew 24, 24, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Now, he's going to make this connection between false prophets and false signs and wonders. Now, he doesn't say that these signs and wonders didn't happen, he says, these were not of me. So we have to examine and realize that not every miraculous, if you will, sign or wonder is necessarily attributed to the Lord. And somebody can look all religious and spiritual, and it may not necessarily be the Lord. That's why Jesus says, look, they're going to come to you in, in sheep's clothing. They're going to look all bah, on, the, on the outside, but on the inside, they're all, <laughs> all right? And so he says, there's a difference here. But these false prophets will still be in the world all the way up until the return of Christ. That's what Jesus says there in Matthew 24, 24. Peter will write in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, John said, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
Now, we're not just talking about the big-named false prophets that now we can tragically learn from, the David Koresh's and the Jim Joneses, okay? There are plenty of false prophets out there that you and I need to recognize and be aware of and test. And you should never just take anything carte blanche from anybody who ever teaches, including myself. Please, look, when you sit under any teaching, you have the Word of God to test everything, and you should be able to judge for yourselves whether something is true or whether something is false. The issue here with false prophets, there's basically three particular ways that you can spot a false prophet. The first is by their doctrine. By their doctrine. Uh, Do they distort add or in any way manipulate the text, torturing it in any way to make it say what they want to say. Be very, very discerning of false teaching in terms of its doctrine. And look, just because they're on television or just because they've written a book does not mean you should necessarily accept everything that comes out of their mouths or off of the pen. Okay, we have to be very discerning. There are some people that I can sit and watch on television, some, you know, TV teachers or evangelists or pastors or whatever. And 99 percent of what they say, I think, well, that lines up. And then there can be that one percent. I think, oh, that was completely out of context. And that's that's false teaching. But unless you're tuned into what they're saying and know the word of God, you won't be able to discern whether it's true or whether it's false. But don't accept everything you hear just because they have a big name, just because their name has been incorporated into a ministry, just because they've sold a lot of books, all right, just because they look nice and dress nice, whatever it is. There can be, I'm not saying, obviously, that everybody you turn on television or every book you read, obviously, that's ridiculous. There are plenty of great teachers out there. There's plenty of great doctrine out there. But there is, mingled with that, false stuff. And and we had better be discerning. So it's not only doctrine, if they distort, add to, remove, in any way manipulate the text, uh, they they will then end up making it either leaning towards legalism or towards liberalism. And that's when you see it out of balance, and that's when you see it distorted. But secondly, you can judge whether they're a false prophet by their life. Is there anything about their life, personally, that is inconsistent with Scripture? Is there anything about their life which is inconsistent with Scripture, I remember um, hearing about, and then I had to research to make sure it's true because you're not supposed to believe everything you see or read on the Internet, right? You know, there's this TV evangelist slash pastor's husband and wife couple, and they get up in, in the pulpit one day at a very large church and, and just kind of casually say, we've both decided to get divorced, and, uh, but by the way, Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways, And we see this as God's way of multiplying the kingdom because uh, I'll still have my ministry and she'll still have her ministry and we'll just uh, duplicate the kingdom's work. It's just like craziness. You're just going to stand up and talk casually how the two of you are just going to get a divorce and how and this is going to be duplicating the kingdom of God's work. I mean, that's just heresy to get up there and just casually talk about how we're going to divorce and to kind of stamp God's approval on it to suggest that now we are doubling the efforts for the kingdom. That is just heretical. So you have to listen to this kind of thing. I remember watching, but um, because there's, there's no reason to, you know, I don't want to just, it's not about throwing people under the bus, but it's about talking about truth and, and what is true and what is false. So, but, you know, and I remember 
researching this and seeing people interviewed, and some people were legitimately like, this is not right, and this is, this is wrong, and I'm out of here. And other people were like, well, you know, this is what pastor said, and so both of our pastors are going separate ways, and this is just the kingdom's work, and God bless them. And, and I'm just, you know, wow, you're believing this? You're accepting this and thinking that this is normal. So we have to be very careful. So their doctrine, number two, their life, number three, their fruit. Because Jesus says here, by, your, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So what kind of person is produced as a result of their ministry? What is the fruit of their ministry? What, what are the, if you will, children of their ministry? What do they look like? How are they acting? What is their life like? Because that is often the fruit of their ministry, and uh, it will often reflect whether or not it is consistent with Scripture or, or not. So again, when we talk about at the beginning of chapter 7, People often quoting, don't judge me, don't judge. No, 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 this is, this is an example right here where Jesus says, I want you to judge. I want you to be discerning here. There are some good teachers and there's some false teachers. And you have to be aware of this and you have to judge and be discerning by looking at their doctrine, their life, and their fruit. Uh, because the end times will be marked more and more by false teachers and false prophets. So be aware of that. Now, he links that part about false prophets with the next section, verses 21 through 23. I don't think that verses 21 to 23 are intended to cause sincere Christians alarm or concern as to whether or not they're saved. And But there are a lot of people who will read just verses 21 to 23, just taking it by itself, not seeing the flow of the context, and they'll read in verse 21, well, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven... Only who does the will of my Father. Wow, I, I, I hope I don't get in front of Jesus one day. And he's just, you know, totally deer in the headlights look. Like, I, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Well, wait a minute, I've been teaching Sunday school, and I've been ushering, and, and, and I love Jesus, and I know him as my Lord and Savior, and all my life I've been sharing my faith, and people have come to know Christ, and Jesus is just going to be, I'm sorry, get away from me. I don't really know you. Uh, look, don't let this rattle you, okay? First of all, the context is that he says here, and I think it's related to the false prophets. Not everybody, just because they say, oh yeah, Lord, Lord, is really of the kingdom. He says there are some false prophets who will do false signs and wonders that are still powerful, but again, are not to be attributed to the Lord because, you know, the work of darkness, in fact, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, Paul would write, the coming of the lawless one, talking about the Antichrist, will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. So there are counterfeit stuff out there in terms of displays of power. There's legitimate stuff, obviously, but there's some counterfeit stuff. And Jesus is saying that everybody, you just don't look at miracles and assess whether or not someone is of the faith or belongs to Jesus. That's what he means there. Well, many will say, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons, perform miracles? No, 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 no. And then he's going to say here, verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Look, this is not intended to make us think that you can lose your salvation because Jesus says, I never knew you. You were never of the faith. You never really belonged to me. These are false, the context here, these are false prophets. These are people who are doing things in the name, small n, of Jesus, but they have no relationship with him. So they are producing counterfeit stuff, but they are not legitimately a part of the kingdom, and they're not a part of the faith. 
So he says, I tell you, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. And then verse 24, he says, therefore. Now, this is a summary statement. This last part here is a summary statement about everything that he's just said, everything that we've just studied here about the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the summary statement. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Notice this. Both kind of people hear. They both hear. But the first one does, the second one does not do. Everyone, verse 26, every, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So he says in both examples, they each hear, and in both examples, the storms come. But the one who was able to withstand the storms of life was the one who did what he heard Jesus say, or what she heard Jesus say, because when you put the Word of God into practice, you are building your life on a solid foundation. That's what he's saying here. Look, when you and I get into the Word of God and we take to heart what He says and we practice what Jesus says, we are building our lives upon a solid foundation so that when the storms come, not if, they will come. It's part of life. It's part of living in a fallen world. When they come, you won't be destroyed because you have Jesus as the foundation of your life. However, if you hear, but you don't do, then your life is not built on a solid foundation. Your life is like it's built on sand. And when the storms come, you're going to be carried away with the storms. So he encourages us here to hear what he has to say and to do to put it into practice. What is the foundation of your life? And then I love here in verse 28, he said, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Isn't that great? What does that imply? It implies that their teachers are just like, oh, we don't really know what we're saying. We think this is what God means. And I don't know. I'm not really sure. Look, Jesus is different here because he teaches as one with authority, not as their teachers of the law. Let's go a little bit here into chapter 8. We still have some time. Chapter 8. It says, when he came down from the mountainside. So here he is, still the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Let me just put back up the picture in, in focus so we can get the idea here. When he comes down off the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And it says, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, and this is the first time that the word Lord appears in the New Testament. It is kurios in the Greek. Lord, if you are willing, first time anyone calls him Lord, he referred to himself by Lord up in the previous passage. First time anybody in the text, in the New Testament, calls him Lord. And this, this leper says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, what we're going to read here between chapters 8 and 9 are about 9 to 10 miracles, depending on how you count them. 
There's going to be a series of miracles that, that Matthew records here between chapters 8 and 9, about 9 or 10 of them. And I want you to notice with me that the first three miracles deal with the, if not the outcasts of society, the subclasses of society. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know